0: Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Open Door. I'm your host Selena Harrison, an intern here at Cree and today I am joined by Jonathan Kim, who is one of the founders and the chair of our new Asian American and Pacific Islander Employee Resource Group. How are you doing today, John?
1: I'm great. How are you, Selena? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm good. So let's get right into it. Why don't you introduce yourself introduce yourself to our listeners and just tell us a little bit about you?
1: Well, um, it's uh, it's been a long time coming for me. I've always wanted to be on a podcast. <laughs> um, my name is John Kim, and I manage the global trade compliance function at Cree. And um, see, I've been with Cree for eight years. And uh, what else did you ask me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess just to tell us like a little bit about yourself and then... Um... Yeah.
1: Um, so as I said, I've, I've been with Cree for eight years. I've been in North Carolina, um, for that amount of time. Prior to that, I lived in Virginia. Um, I was actually born in Los Angeles and I moved mm. over when I was four years old and, um, I've kind of been on the East coast ever since. But, uh, yeah, I really love the North Carolina, um, Raleigh, Durham area. And, uh, I think it's a great place to raise a family, um, Just a plug here for APEX. I think (laughs) APEX (laughs) is the peak of good living. So uh, we moved into our current house a few years back and uh,
0: really love it here. So what made you want to start the AAPI ERG?
1: So um, I'm gonna be honest, I, I don't really, I can't remember ever using the acronym AAPI in my life. And I didn't know what it said for I had to look it up sometime earlier here in 2021. And uh, really, you know, was sort of blind to my um, own uh, race's sort of uh, issues. I, I guess uh, is there's only no other way to put it. Um, and I think it's because of something that I've come to learn about, um, this model minority myth. That, um, you know, the people of Asian descent that come to this country are, you know, often just kind of fit into a mold, which is keep your head down, do what you got to do, do well in school, and and then you'll be successful. And I've come to find out that's, that truly is a myth. It's not um, in actuality what's going on in our country. So... For me, just personally, I didn't really identify um, as an Asian person. I did. Obviously, when I look in the mirror, I can see there's an Asian guy staring back at me. <laughs> um, and, uh, But, I, you know, to be honest, I hadn't thought about the issues that people of, of my race uh, deal with on a day-to-day basis. So I was a little bit blind to it, honestly. And, you know, in college, even in high school, there were Korean students associations or Asian student associations, and I had nothing to do with any of that. I just kind of, you know, thought, oh, that's a group for people that, um, you know, want to, you know, experience cultural um, events or have potlucks and have different types of Asian food, but I didn't really identify with that. You know, I'd rather go out and get burgers and fries. And and, <laughs> and my, my group of friends growing up, like even in elementary school, you know, I had my group of black friends, I had my group of white friends, and it just, it was like never really something I thought about. I kind of identified mm-hmm. with whoever I was hanging out with at the time, and in high school, there were a lot more Asians in, in, uh, in the high school that I went to in Northern Virginia, but I didn't really kind of identify this as, oh, this is my group of Asian friends. They just were my friends that happened to be Asian, and, um, but, you know, just long story short, the way that I came to kind of identify um, the problems in our country right now is just through the past year with COVID-19. Um, you know, obviously there's lots of comments about the coronavirus being the <laughs> China flu or Kung flu, and you know, to be honest, I didn't I didn't really feel offended by it so much. Um, I thought it was inappropriate, but at the same time, I didn't really kind of, um, digest kind of the, the, the severity of using language like that. It, it becomes very divisive and, you know, with really kind of the, the genesis of how, how my own transformation went this year was through, you know, all the, the Black Lives Matter movement. And obviously the starting with, George Floyd. Um, it really kind of opened my eyes to, wow, people are finally kind of waking up um, and seeing that there there are inequities and there's injustice, and it's you know, truly sy- systemic. And it's not something that people are just choosing to be evil or anything like that. It's just the way that things have been set up, you know, over the generations in this country, and you know, and I, I, I recognize that. And I said, I want to be an ally for um, people that are discriminated against. And all the while, I was looking more so at the Black community and wasn't even thinking about the Asian community and any injustices that we suffer because I was sort of blind to it. So, um, you know, it wasn't until I saw that there were attacks on elderly Asian people there were attacks and discrimination and bullying um, that kids in, in schools, they, they uh, received because of their race and because of the, the, the you know, COVID-19 pandemic. And I thought, well, that's, that's not right. And I started to kind of learn a little bit more just through my own research that there's, um, you know, actually uh, there's a lot of history there um, of discrimination in this country towards Asians and I thought, well, this is as good a time as any to bring this to um, the forefront. And, and so this employee resource group really started with just an email that I sent to um, Tamara Pierce, who's our DEI coordinator. And I wanted to know if there's anything in the works to get something like that set up. I didn't mean to, to lead that effort. I just <laughs> wanted to know if something was going to happen. Um, and certainly, it's been in our leadership's mind at our company. And uh, you know, I was just sort of, <laughs> I guess, right guy at the, the right time bringing this topic up. And uh, and here I am now, uh, maybe a month or two later, um, chairing the inaugural um, um, ERG, uh, AAPI ERG.
0: Mm-hmm. I am so happy you created this group because, like you were saying, I felt like this was a wake up call for me. I had known what was going on in the black community, but I had an assignment for school and I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I had to look up an article or something going on in the news. And I just remember seeing this time magazine article about hate crimes against Asian Americans. And I just remember thinking like, I haven't heard anything about this uh-huh. and it's been happening all of 2020 and I read it. And they were saying um, that in New York, so the NYPD reported that hate crimes motivated by Asian uh, by anti-Asian sentiment jumped 1,900% yeah. in New York in one year. Uh-huh. And I was sitting there, I think I saw the article on Twitter, and I just remember sitting here and thinking like almost 2,000%, and it's February 2021, and I am just now hearing about this. I haven't heard anything else about it, and... I remember, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic when there was, again, more anti-Asian sentiment and a lot of Asian-owned businesses were suffering. I remember, um, I'm not sure if H-Mart's Asian-owned, but I remember going in there and just being like completely empty and um, a lot of businesses had to close down. So I am so happy that you started this ERG. I remember like that's I, I don't know if it was the same week, but later on that week, I emailed Tamara and I was like, "Oh, like we have to do something." And she was like, "Oh, well, like John's already on it; like he's ready to go." <laughs> <Yeah. So laughs> I was like, "Oh wow! Like I'm so happy that we are getting this new ERG." Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I'm glad that that there's something, and uh, whether you know I'm involved in leading it or or just being a member, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and one of those would be. You know, obviously, spreading the awareness that, hey, you you know, you you as an Asian person um, have allies, and to uh, you know, to the allies, this is how you can support the Asian community. And you know, again, it hasn't been talked about much, so it's hard for people to necessarily know how to react. They just see the statistics. I I remember seeing a statistic too about um, Asian Americans living in New York. And again, I, you know, I touched on model minority myth, you know, again, it's, you know, Asians are pretty well off, you know, they aren't really, you know, discriminated against the sort of the, the sentiment that, that I had at least growing up. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, the model minority myth is truly a myth. There's no, you know, yeah, a lot of the doctors and uh, uh, people that are in that field happen to be Asian, but that's not the majority of the people in this country. There's a lot of people that are working very blue collar jobs. Um, there are a lot of Asians living in poverty. I think 25% of Asian Americans in New York are living living below the poverty line. And, mm-hmm. you know, you think about, uh, there, there have been a lot of attacks amongst elderly, uh, uh, towards elderly people in New York. And, you know, these people aren't doctors. These people are, you know, living in the poorer parts of New York city. And, you know, it's because of this myth. And, you know, I contribute to that. I, you know, I, I you know, I keep my head down. I, I do my work. Um, that's just kind of how I was raised. But there's a reason why a lot of second generation, third generation Asian Americans were raised that way. And it's because there was a lot of prejudice and discrimination um, in America's history. Um, there, you know, and, you know, I, I sound like I know a lot of this stuff. I really, you know, got down to educating myself over the past year and learned so much about how the first wave of immigrants from China came in the 1850s, um, during the gold rush period. And so there's been a presence of Asians in America since the 1800s, and there was specifically um, acts of violence towards um, these initial immigrants. Um, there was a massacre of, of the Chinese population in Los Angeles um, because there was an accidental shooting, um, death of a white civilian. And so 10% of the Chinese population was just sort of massacred, taken and, and killed in, in broad daylight. And then there was... Um, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was a period of time I think 10 years or so where anyone from China was banned from coming into the country. And that's the only time in, in our, in our history where there was an exclusion act specifically towards a race. And so, you know, seeing things like that and seeing, um, you know, internment camps for, um, Japanese Americans during World War II after Pearl Har- Harbor, um, people realized as, you know, immigrants to this country, if we keep our heads down and we stay out of trouble, then perhaps we can stay here and live out the American dream. Um, And, you know, I think that's kind of the message that was taught to the kids. You know, you're in this country, you're an American, um, but, you know, you get in trouble and that may not always be there. So, um, you know that that was eye uh, opening for me because you know again I kind of live that same same mentality of just do what you got to do, and I and I don't think there's anything wrong with you know working hard obviously but I think it's it's time that you know, as our country is just changing and becoming more um, sensitive to to race I think it's important for people to realize that there's um, so much work that needs to be done and it's not just about Fitting in—it's—it's um, it's about making sure that uh, you know all voices are heard, whether it's Asian or
0: mm-hmm.
1: other race groups or other 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 uh, groups in this country.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what would you say? I know we talked about the model minority myth, but what would what would you say is one of the biggest challenges facing the API community right now?
1: So, um. I mean, I've got to say that it's not just the blatant racism, although that's been happening in our country as of late, um, you know, with the, the shootings in Atlanta, the um, attacks toward elderly people, but, you know, there are more subtle things that happen, um, and we call them microaggressions, and, mm-hmm. you know, I've, <laughs> I've been educating myself in what microaggressions really are, and examples of that, um, you know, for example, my wife she went out to um, I think it was, I think she was going grocery shopping I can't remember, it was sometime last year. she went out and, and an elderly um, white lady I, I want to say she was in her 80s. This is just based on my, my mm-hmm. wife's depiction of uh, the account you know, she asked her where my wife was from, which is a very, you know, benign question. I've, I've been asked that a lot, you know. So, you know, I've been asked,
0: you mm-hmm. know, where
1: are you from? I kind of already know what people are, are asking, but I always say, oh, I was born in Los Angeles or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Fairfax County, Virginia. And I always get that, that you know, follow-up question. And this is what my, my wife got in this particular case. And she was asked no, no, not, not where did you live before this? Where, where are you from originally? And, mm. you know, I think a lot of Asians are used to being asked that question um, or any minority for that matter. You know, you get asked where you're from and the the, the message really that the recipient hears is, oh, you're not American or you are, you're a foreigner. You don't belong here. No, where, where are you really from? As in where, Um, you know, where are you from because you're not from America. And I think that that affects you. Um, Long term, you realize or maybe you play into the message that oh, I'm not American. And um, you know, there are other examples of um, of microaggressions. But all these microaggressions, they kind of add up. It's like piling on Mm-hmm. And eventually, you start to question your own place in society. Um, I always get asked this too. I, you know, people say, "Oh, can you say something for me in your language?" It's like I I struggle with yeah. it. You know, not being born in Korea, but you know, then I have to come up with something. You know, in high school, it was, "Hey, teach me or teach me like a cuss word in Korean," or mm-hmm. or, "Hey, tell me how to say." you know, like uh, a pickup line in your language so I can pick up Korean girls. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's kind of kind of an awkward position to be in. It's like, oh, I can teach you how to say hi. And, and so for what? You know, it kind of takes you to, it, it kind of puts you down a notch. It's almost like, well, you know, I want to bring you down a peg. And it, I, I know that it doesn't feel like, it's really a, a racist question, but they, again, they start to pile on. And, and so there's always like a hidden message or motive behind asking these questions. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing that uh, people um, from Asia that live in this country experience on a day-to-day basis. I don't know, do you, do you have any kind of other examples of microaggressions? Cause I've been looking at some, but even for, um, microaggressions towards black people is there something that stands out to you
0: um well one I want to say it before I forget I would definitely say that people asking you to translate for different things it's definitely a big microaggression because you're not google translate they're just asking you like oh basically can you like can you perform for me can you do this for me based on my request like you're not there to be translator that's not your job you're not getting paid for um it's definitely a big microaggression uh personally in the black community i know with like a lot of black women a big microaggression is our hair so i've had like people come up to me like strangers and they'll come and just like touch my Uh hair they'll just like touch me or they'll comment on it they'll say oh it's so this or um if our hair changes a lot they'll comment on it a microaggression that I learned about kind of recently on Twitter that I myself have been trying to be more aware of, and this relates not only to like Black community, API AAPI community, but just any anyone in general, is names. Um, I've learned a lot that it's really important to pronounce people's names correctly, even if they have a difficult name, because at the end of the day, that's their name, that's what their parents call them, they can pronounce it. I think that we're all humans, We all, like most of us all have the same mouths and if we're capable to pronounce someone's name, we should. So I'm not exactly sure in the API community, but something that I can think of is, let's say if you have like a Korean name or a Chinese name, when people, um, if they live in America, they're like, oh, I'll just go by like Brian or something, or they'll just go by a regular name because people will often pronounce their name wrong or they won't try hard enough to say their name correctly or they'll say it like like, oh like is that right and then they'll they'll just laugh it off or um continue to call them the wrong name I even had a friend he was uh Arab American and for all of high school everyone called him Yazan and he would answer to Yazan and everyone called him Yazan and then senior year right as we were leaving he was like, actually you know what like my name is pronounced Yazan and we were all like, oh, like, wow, I I felt so bad because we had all been teachers and everyone had been pronouncing his name wrong yeah. for four years. And he was like, you know what? That's not my name. It's pronounced Yezin. And we were able to just adjust and just say it correctly. But I think that that's a really big microaggression, even though it seems small. It's something that I think can be very like easily corrected with just a little bit of yeah, effort.
1: absolutely. And I, I think that... Um... <laughs> even like telling people my name I've gotten before, no, what's your, what's your real name that you just gave that name to yourself. Right. Cause yeah, I will work with people in mm-hmm. Asia at our company and a lot of these coworkers of ours, they, um, you know, who are maybe that they're located in China, they have a Chinese name, but they say, Hey, now I'm, I'm going by Dave. So, you know, we call them Dave. And I know that that's more for ease of, you know, um people in the states and everything. But I, I actually wanna know my coworkers' names and um, you know, it's like
0: mm-hmm.
1: no different than, you know, having somebody um and now obviously people in America are a little more used to it, but like Seamus. It's like what what's your name? And I can I can pronounce Seamus and even though it's not spelled that way, it looks like it's Seamus.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> or uh <laughs> Yeah. I think that it it just takes a little bit of effort just to, you know, just to get it right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely an area um, where people struggle with microaggressions.
0: Yeah. I would also have, I would also have to say, um, food mm-hmm. is a big one in most communities. So if someone's eating something that's not typically eaten in like American cuisine, i've seen people react and be like ew like how nasty is that like that's so disgusting like how could you eat that like why would you ever eat that um i saw this i saw a tiktok and um she was asian american she had mentioned how she was in like a asian like a asian grocery store i think it was H Mart with her son and they had had some octopus and he was holding it and a like a white lady came up to them and she was like, "Oh, that's so disgusting." And the uh, woman just like let her son chase the white <laughs> lady around the store with the octopus because yeah. she's like, "This is what I eat. Like, this is delicious. What are you talking about?" So, that's something else that I would definitely say is a big microaggression and also just not being open to like Asian American culture as a whole. So let's say like if like I have started to try and like learn more. So I've started watching like. K dramas. I watched this really good movie, like *Train to Busan*, and it's not in English. I watch it subtitled, and people just act like it is okay. (laughs) This inconvenience to just read, and I'm like, I, you're missing out on so much. That movie was so good. I could talk about it for days, but it's just stuff like that where they're so unwilling in their hearts to be like, oh, like Korean movies can't possibly be as good as. American movies. And in my opinion, every Korean movie I watched has never missed. It's been a trip from beginning to end. So I would say that that is one of the biggest microaggressions against the community, even though it's not directly, they're not directly saying like, oh, you, as an Asian American, like, you shouldn't do that, but just not being willing to put themselves in. No, I've got to say that even
1: for American movies, my preference is always to have subtitles, no matter what I'm watching. Just so i don't miss anything like if you try to watch um i recently watched lawless with tom hardy i'm not sure if you've seen that can't understand Mm -hmm. a word that he's saying so having (laughs) subtitles is always key but yeah korean movies i don't watch as many as i used to um i watched a lot growing up because my mom Mm -hmm. would and this is back in the day so she'd get vhs tapes of these korean dramas there was no subtitles but i would watch it and i actually probably learned most of my korean from watching these uh sappy love movies um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah even now and when i when i have a good movie whether it's korean or another from another country yeah it's all about kind of you know kind of immersing yourself in these different cultures and you know you you don't you don't really realize how much the the world has to offer in, in terms of entertainment and stories and movies. Um, so yeah, definitely it's, subtitles are key.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my next question for you is: What do you and the other members, either on the ERG um, leadership team or the board members, what do you guys hope yeah, to so
1: accomplish? We're kind of just in the in the early days here of getting this employee resource group set up. And so we just recently solidified our, our, our team here, our leadership team. So um, some of them I haven't really talked to in much detail. I'm going to this week, but um, as the chair, I'm sort of setting the foundation and putting the vision in place. And and my goal here is that it's a collaborative um, leadership group where we're all putting our, our, two cents in, we're, we're coming up with ideas. Um, you know, the, I, I think a struggle with any group is getting momentum, getting people to kind of buy in and then, you know, keeping that momentum going. Cause it's easy to kind of get excited about something when it first launches. Um, mm-hmm. it's like when we moved to my house that I'm in, cause we were all about it. Like we have a great basement. And we saw the kids running around and said, okay, this is it. We're going to buy this house. And I cannot for the life of me, keep it clean now. And I'm like, I, I wish we didn't have a basement. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's like that. I mean, we just, you know, have a lot of ideas right now to start, but it's just about keeping momentum going. And I, and I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of things that people want. They want professional development, you know, mentorship opportunities within, even just within the Asian community, because it's. You know, there, there are nuances to it. Um, and again, I'm educating myself, but you know, how do, um, Asian people, you know, step up and, and take a mentorship role and mentor somebody else. Um, sometimes we have this, you know, this model minority myth, let's not, you know, be too proactive. Let's be good at our jobs, but let's not be leaders. And, um, I, I think that that's something that we mm-hmm. definitely want to do, but, um, you know, initially speaking, I think there's a lot of opportunity given the violence towards Asians, making people aware of microaggressions and, and, and really being inclusive. I think that's a goal here. Um, one of the ways that we wanna be involved is um, by supporting the other ERGs. So I, I almost think of the AAPI ERG as a springboard. So there are people that may identify Mm -hmm. as either identify as being Asian or identify as being an ally for Asian colleagues. And I think this is a springboard to bring people into an environment where they may be more comfortable and have common interests and and, um, topics to talk about. But I think that it also makes sense to springboard people into the other ERGs. Um, I saw something the other day that said, uh, it was about feminism and said if you're a feminist mm-hmm. who is not kind of sensitive to the issues with black Americans, then you're not truly a feminist, um, you know, and it, it kind of it rings true for Asians. If you're an Asian, that's all of a sudden, you know, oh, sort of awoken, uh, awake to the issues in America about race, but you're not behind BLM. And, you know, you're missing the point. Um, this is a fight for mm-hmm. um, equality across the board. And so I think that's, it's important for us to really not be API is the end goal. It's, it's a springboard for us to do more and to be involved in, in everything in our community at work, um, at schools. So the the very first thing that comes to mind is, you know, there's been some recent shootings, as there have been throughout the year. But, um, you know, Mm -hmm. with that, what do we do as an Asian community? Well, we need to get behind supporting our Black neighbors and coworkers um, and not repeat history. Back in the 80s, it feels like it wasn't that long ago because I remember it. After the Rodney Rodney King um, <laughs> beating, there were some riots in LA, and there was actually very um, tense kind of um, um, struggles between um, uh, Black people and um, Asian people in LA. Um, there was no support. Mm-hmm. It was almost like yeah, you know, you know Korean Americans would kind of be protecting their storefronts in LA. And there were black rioters and you know, they were rightfully upset about the Rodney King um, killing or, or beating. So I think that a lot of the, the, uh, the issues that kind of um, arose at that time serve as an example of we were, as Asian people, probably pretty insensitive to what was going on in our community. And I think this is a, a chance for us to to do better um, and kind of really get behind um, our Black brothers and sisters who or, are or suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what can allies do to support the AAPI community? I'm talking about like more than just performative allyship because at the end of the day, That's not we don't want people to just post like oh hashtag Mm -hmm. protect Asian lives and leave it alone. So what can allies do to support the community, um, even other than just educating yourself? I think that that's something that you mentioned a lot during this podcast, and I love that because especially like as part of the Black community, sometimes I feel like or we can feel like that we're a spokesperson know our dictionary and encyclopedia and we know all of the history and sometimes people just come to us like oh what is this about what is this about instead of actually educating themselves and putting in the work to learn more so what can what can allies do to support the
1: AAPR I think community? Uh, not being a, uh, a person that stands by and observes what's going on um obviously when you see it in the news and you see something is going something is going on even the killing of people um in atlanta for example it's easy to just kind of say oh that that's that's tragic that's too bad but um really calling out those kind of things and specifically you know it's easy to just kind of overlook microaggressions but you know educate yourself on what a microaggression mm-hmm. is and examples of it and if it's said in In a public place that you call it out for what it is. I think a lot of times it's easy to just kind of you know it's like safety in numbers you know there's somebody here that's kind of saying some inappropriate things but I don't want to rock the boat I don't want to you know upset this person so I'm not going to really say anything but then it just prevents anyone from advancing and 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 growing as a human. So I think calling it getting it called out is Mm -hmm is important, um, just to continue to evolve as, as a person, um, that's becoming more in a community that's becoming more and more diverse there, you know, believe it or not. I mean, there's still a lot of people coming into this country from, from, from places all around the world. And the more we learn to, you know, recognize how to not be prejudiced. Um, I think the better off we'll all be. And, you know, really, even just honoring victims, you know, like the whole hashtag, say their names, um, with with George Floyd kind of, I think, being not the first, obviously, but one of the more important um, examples of systemic racism. I think it becomes all the more important to call out acts of violence, or inequities Um, because if you don't do that if you don't recognize that it actually happened it becomes a a struggle to actually advance and grow and uh, yeah and just even little Mm -hmm. things like checking on um, people um, in the AAPI community like how are you doing you know how how did this event you know affect you and you know, going back to kind of the whole food thing that you talked about with the octopus, there was a time in elementary school where <laughs> my, and, and I think this is all Korean people. I don't know about other uh, ethnicities, but the way that my mom <laughs> carves up an apple is is something that I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever seen in other races. They, they cut it into like quadrants or maybe into apes. And um, then they, sort of decor it they take out the core and then they peel the whole thing so you literally have this almost dumpling shaped apple and my mom would do this yeah i'll I'll do it for you one day Mm -hmm. selena (laughs) i've gotten pretty good at it myself (laughs) because this is what i do for my kids now and you know she put in a little ziploc bag put it in there with my sandwich and my bag of fritos and my my juice box and uh I would eat my lunch and I would save the apple for last because <laughs> I don't like eating fruit until the very end. And, you know, it's like a dessert, I guess. And so I waited until I finished all the other food and then I quickly eat my apples. And, um, you know, I never had the heart to tell my mom not to do it anymore because one time I got called out for it mm-hmm. at second grade lunch. And one of my friends said, what is that? And they mm. thought, you know, it was some foreign food. And I was like, Oh, it's a, granny smith apple or whatever it was you know (laughs) it's all it was and (laughs) yet i felt like ashamed of it um and you know the Mm -hmm. these friends of mine who are who are white um has never seen had never seen anything like that so i I just think that it's about kind of opening yourself up as as a human being even for me when i see something uh, you know i'm not from china and I see some of these food shows on, uh, you know, like the the street markets in China. I'm like, wow, I don't know how they can eat this or that. But, you know, I've, I've I've learned to kind of change my mindset on that. And it's like, look, these people are alive and kicking. They're doing well. And they're eating whatever foods. It must be good enough not to kill them. It must be, you know, um, a delicacy in these countries, um, you know. In that old show, I don't know if you remember, there's a show called Fear Factor. And they would eat all this,
0: oh, yeah, I do. All this stuff
1: <laughs> that I'm sure they wouldn't just pick something that would kill you, you know, it's filled with poison or anything. But they're, yeah. you know, they're strange to Americans because we never see that. But, you know, like one of my favorite tacos right now mm-hmm. is um, beef tongue. And when you go to like an authentic Mexican food truck, there's like no nice graphics on the side of the food truck. It's like a white food truck with like some rust and it's got a sign saying tacos for, you know, $2 each. (laughs) Those are the best taco trucks. And they often, I've found, often offer uh, lengua, which is tongue. And um, my wife actually dared me to try it once um, because she had had it before and she said it was so good. And now that's like one of my favorite tacos to get. So, it's kind of open, you know, expanding your horizons, trying <laughs> new things, and by doing so, it really it um, kind of legitimizes these other cultures, and you know, it's not so strange and weird. And yeah, so I, I think uh, I think that's a, a key way, you know, in in little ways like that, trying new foods. It's a way to support the API community.
0: yeah maybe i'll try beef tongue now i've never really i gotta warn you here i tried doing
1: it myself so we went to a market (laughs) where they had beef tongue and we tried like you know cooking it like you would cook a steak but (laughs) i I have to warn you i learned the hard way you've got to like kind of peel off that top layer because it's very bristly and it's almost like leather so you got to get under all that and then you get like really good (laughs) meat um there's a lot of things, I'm not gonna name all the different things that I've tried out there, but there's a lot of things that um, it surprised me. You know, I thought they would be horrible, but they'd act- they were actually great once you try it.
0: Mm-mm, I'll definitely have to try. I always try, when I was little, I used to be a really picky eater, but now I've always tried to try something at least three times. Cause the first time it's like, whoa, what is this? I've never had this before. And it's usually really alarming to me, but I've always tried to try, you know, something new. Especially if I go, if I go um, to H Mart, yeah. like a thirty minute drive, so it's kind of far. But if I go there, I'm like, you know what? Let me pick this like one new snack today, and if it's good, it's good. If it's not, you know, at least I tried it, and I know yeah, maybe I'll yeah, like I will like it. I mean, it's made, like, and a it,
1: different way. there's no forcing it either. If you don't like it, you don't like it. But you got to try it, like you said a few times. Um, my my daughter she's um she's all about any kind of food it can be spicy it can be um really unique and she'll try it and she'll love it and my my sons on the other hand it's chicken nuggets and mac and cheese every day so I can't get them to try anything different so it's a little (laughs) bit of
0: uh
1: you know kind of your own palate but yeah I think it's important to try
0: Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Before I close it out, I want to know if you have any questions for me or if there's anything else you want to say. I just want to make sure that I give you the space. Yeah, no, to Selena, I think that to the things.
1: most important thing is let us know how we can be more involved. It's not about um, getting everyone to see our point of view. I think that's the misconception with ERGs. It's Oh, it's only the agenda of you know, um, women's initiative being only for women or, uh, the pride group being only for those that identify as LGBTQ. Um, but it's more about, you know, being involved to learn about these different, um, groups of people, but also unless you tell us, unless you tell, um, a particular person how they can be more, um, uh, involved in everything else in, in the community, it's hard to really grow. So as much as we want people to grow mm-hmm. and learn about AAPI um, topics, we also wanna know how we can be involved in supporting the other ERGs or being more um, educational as far as giving people the tools they need to, to be supporters of the AAPI group. I think that's the key, uh, just making sure that we have a communication and a dialogue so that it doesn't end with just having a group of people just standing around together, trying different types of food. <laughs> we, wanna be, we wanna be a transparent group. And you know, really <laughs> the agenda is to advance all of the ERGs together and kind of give us a, a, you know, a voice at the table, just saying, hey, don't forget about this or that um, that we identify with in the API community.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you um, to you and the rest of the leadership team for getting this ERG started. Everyone listening, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and be on the lookout for the AAPI ERG launch at the beginning of May. I just know that thank this you. Thank is going you for having to me. great things. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>